Hi, I'm Ramona Sinaway. I'm your host for Exploring the Divine Feminine. I explore anything related to the Divine Feminine within the context of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I talk about everything from divine womanhood, our divine missions, priesthood, Mother in Heaven, which I'm doing a lot of research on for my next book. And in fact, I've just written a book called We Are Adam, The Partnership of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and What It Means for You. I talk about the partnership between men and women, not only within marriage, but how if you take the power of woman and combine it with the power of man, then you have this fusion that is unstoppable, unbeatable, and it, it's amazing. And I invite you to check out that book and see what it can do for you in your life. I'm really excited about it. You can follow me on Instagram at Ramona Sidaway Author. Also exploring the Divine Feminine. I'm on Facebook, both an author page and a personal page. And I have a private Facebook group called Exploring the Divine Feminine. You do need to be invited to it so you can ask to join the group. But it's private because... I do not like trolls, and I'm trying to um, edit them as much as possible to get rid of the trolls. So especially if you are tuning into my podcast or YouTube channel and you're a troll, all I can say is troll on by. If you don't agree with anything, that's fine. Just move on to something else. But today I wanted to discuss about holiness through our Gethsemanes. So about, um, well, it was in October of 1996, I lost my parents to a car accident. And this was extremely painful. It was one of the most painful experiences I'd ever been through. Um, It was not going to be my last, but I felt very lost. I felt very alone, very abandoned. And when I was home, I was in so much pain. I wanted to be out when I was out. I wanted to be home. I'd be in the car driving and I just felt like I was crawling out of my skin. And uh, Neely Maxwell talks about this is that emotional pacing inside of, well, pacing inside of your emotional cell, which I think is very apropos. And I was just going through so much pain and struggling so much because it just seemed like there was nothing I could do to escape the pain. So within that month of the next month, I was up early mainly because I wasn't able to sleep and praying a lot about what to do. And when I got off my knees, I picked up the current issue of the ensign and I opened it up and there was a reprint of Neil A. Maxwell's talk that he gave in the April 1990 conference entitled Endure It Well. And I knew immediately that this was an answer to my prayers and I read it thoroughly and I've read it many times since then. Going through this Gethsemanes that we have in our lives, um, a lot of times we do feel very much alone and we feel like it's a time and a place where we, that people can't follow us whether they want to or not. Um, it's an ex- experiences that we just go through and people are not able to completely relate even if you're going through an experience that that maybe a sibling's going through or a spouse or something it's always going to be a little bit different for you because of your experience 
experiences, your lens and things like that. So I think about this, so I call them the Gethsemane experiences because of sometimes the things that you're going through are too heavy for other people to help you bear. So let's go to that to those scriptures where um, Christ is after the Last Supper and he is going to Gethsemane to he knew he knew it was time to perform the atonement and we know the atonement occurred in Gethsemane and on the cross it was finished on the cross and in Matthew 26 we read then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples sit ye here while I go and pray yonder and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed, indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came, and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. In Mark 14, we have pretty much the same, the same verbiage, um, a little bit different when he's talking about the Savior, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You know, he goes to his disciples and he just wants, I mean, he knows they can't go through that with him in the sense that they're not going to be able to physically take on that burden. That was his and his alone. And even if it wasn't, it would be very difficult to pass that to somebody else. And all he wanted was for them to be with him, to watch with him, to, in a sense, emotionally support him and hold his hand. Now, what I find very interesting about this, in the Joseph Smith translation of Mark chapter 14, verses 36 through 38, it says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, which was a garden. And the disciples began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and to complain in their hearts, wondering if this be the Messiah. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and rebuked them, and said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch. Now the Greek versions for the um, where it talks about they were sore amazed. The Greek words um, means that it was awestruck that they were astonished, and that they 
they were feeling very heavy, meaning they were feeling very depressed, dejected, and in anguish. We have one scripture who's saying that the Savior was so amazed, which I'm I think he was as well, but it's also saying that the disciples were sore amazed and heavy and in anguish themselves. And if you think about that, whatever was happening in that garden, whatever the Savior was going through, it was so intense, so heavy, and that, I'll say a little, little woo-woo, that energy vibration that was happening, it was emanating out to where not even the disciples could escape that feeling, that energy that was happening around the Savior. And it was putting them in anguish and they were feeling so heavy. And it caused them to fall asleep. And I feel like they had to shut down. It's like their bodies had to shut down because this was too much for them to bear. They weren't going through it. The Savior was going through it. But even then, it was so hard, that energy for them, they just were not capable, or it was very, it was very, very difficult. Now, at this point, all the Savior wanted was somebody to just stay awake. He knew they were tired, and I, I think he knew the effect that what was happening around him was having on having on them but he still needed that support he needed that sense of that he wasn't alone another instance that i can think of um i had a friend who when when she was i think it was her first or second year in college which is always difficult that second year seems to be so difficult for college-age students for many reasons she was going through some severe depression and her best friend um, didn't know how to help her. And in fact, she told her to her face, I just don't know what to do. I have no idea how to help you. So she withdrew her friendship. She just left her to herself, to my friend to herself. And she was very abandoned. She felt very abandoned. And it was very interesting. She said that was probably the best year that she had because she learned about her relationship with Jesus Christ and with Heavenly Father and she learned that she could count on Heavenly Father and she learned to go to him and um, get that support from him and that's what we find what happens with the Savior is that you know he goes he finds them asleep they're not able emotionally to handle helping they withdrew in a sense, emotionally from the Savior. So when he goes back to the garden, Heavenly Father does not leave him alone. He sends an angel to help support the Savior. Now, at some point, we know from this story, from this experience, that after he's betrayed by Judas and he is on the cross, that there is a point where Heavenly Father does leave him completely alone. For whatever reason, he knew um, that the Savior had to finish it by himself. That whatever that requirement was, but that he was alone in the sense that Heavenly Father had to leave him just for a moment. But then he also had his mother there. Um, his mother did not leave he had one disciple that we know of. Most of his disciples fled. The apostle, um, we know at least one apostle that was there. 
and I can't even imagine how hard that was for her how heavy that weighed upon her heart she probably just wanted to get it done and get it over with and that was her Gethsemane moment it could have been the only one it could have been one of them and having to watch her son that had come about in miraculous ways have to have him suffer and for her to stay there by his side so that he would not be alone that took courage she stayed with him for at least that hour until he passed. When we think about a Gethsemane moment, it's not just as much about how much pain that we're going through. It could be the loss of somebody, the rejection of somebody that we cared about or we, we thought we trusted, a trauma that we're experiencing or have experienced in our past, watching somebody experience trauma. It could be a myriad of things, but it's not just the pain. It's the, it's part of it is that we want somebody to stay awake with us. We want them to just hold our hands and be with us for that moment. Just help those hands that hang down and lift us up. And a lot of times we don't have, sometimes we don't have that in our Gethsemanes. Even when we do have an angel that comes to help bear us up, it's um, an emotional feeling that we go through. We just have to go through it alone in the sense of something we can't go around. It's just something we have to go through. How we handle that Gethsemane moment where like Neil A. Maxwell said, endure it well, that turns that moment and makes us holy. It's not just the fact that we go through pain or go through hard times doesn't make us holy. It doesn't make us into a better person. It's how we handle that moment. Often um, when we are asked to go through those moments, there are things that are so heavy that like the disciples and the apostles, it's just too heavy for others to bear. They don't know what to do and even sometimes they just don't want to go through that it's too painful for them um, and we don't want to judge them because I think we've all done this to somebody else where they expected us to help them out and for whatever reason we were just thinking about ourselves and we weren't there for somebody like we were supposed to be even if somebody else is going through it with us they don't experience it in the same way that we do our, because of our lens and our experiences, our relationships. We have um, a very different experience and it's hard to share that emotional burden part of it. It's partly because we, it's not somebody else's to hold, if that makes sense. It's, that's our, it's our moment. So Neil A. Maxwell, in his 1990 conference talk, he, you know, when we think about enduring it well, it's like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean, enduring it well? He talked about, you know, that um, pacing in our emotional cell. I mean, that's what it feels like. You know, you just, especially in the beginning, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do with that pain. You don't know how to set it down. If it's possible to set it down, you just know you want to get rid of it. And I see why some people self-medicate through through alcohol maybe through illegal drugs 
maybe through over shopping or just consuming media because they just want to distract their mind from that pain. So enduring it well, part of it has to do with your relationship with your Heavenly Father and he's, he's going to help you discern what enduring it well means. But Elder Maxwell, he said that patient endurance is to be distinguished from merely being acted upon. Endurance is more than pacing up and down within the cell of our circumstance. It is not only acceptance of the things allotted to us, it is to act for ourselves by magnifying what is allotted to us. Can you imagine magnifying your Gethsemane experience? Um, there are some things that we really, we try so hard to run away from it and we think we can outrun it, that we won't have to face the pain, but it always catches up. It doesn't matter if it's going to be in this life or the next, when the drugs wear off the alcohol, when our bank account, you know, we overcharge um, our credit cards. If we um, run out of time and we're exhausted, eventually we have to face that pain. We have to face that Gethsemane. And the best and fastest way is to be in the moment and don't be afraid of it. Don't try to run away from it. Accept it. Uh, well, you have to feel it and go through it before that, I guess, the acceptance comes in. Like Christ, those moments are allotted to us. And I think that's why we have, we're alone. We feel alone a little bit. We're never really alone because God doesn't leave us. He, he's either there with us in the spirit, sends an angel, he sends somebody or an article to read something that helps you get through that, helps you magnify that experience to where you're not just merely passing time, waiting for that pain to go away, waiting for that experience to be done. You need to, and I need to magnify those experiences Therefore, he continues, true enduring represents not merely the passage of time, but the passage of the soul. To endure in faith and do with God's will, therefore, involves much more than putting up with a circumstance. So it's not just holding your breath and waiting for it to pass because you're just forestalling it and it makes it more difficult the longer you wait and it begins to come out in a way in ways that are not healthy and harmful to both you and the people around you sometimes it turns inward and anger it turns into anger and anger turned in, inwards inside is depression rather than shoulder shrugging true enduring is soul trembling jesus bled not at a few, but at every poor. So if there's one person, one person in the entire universe that understands what we're going through, what we've been through, it is the Savior because he actually experienced your Gethsemane moment, my Gethsemane moment in Gethsemane. He experienced that exact pain, that exact experience that we have gone through. With enduring comes a willingness, therefore, to press forward, even when we are bone-weary and would much rather pull off to the side of the road. 
hard times. We're just so tired and if it's gone on year after year and we feel like it's never going to end. I think about the woman with the issue of blood and how for 12 years she went to doctor after doctor for 12 years. She could not be touched. She could not be, she never experienced another human t touch or a hug at any time during that 12 year span because she was considered ritually unclean. That was the law of that day. Can you imagine going 12 years without human touch? I can only imagine she was bone weary. She was tired. She wanted to stop and quit, but there wasn't a way for her to do that. She had to continue to go through that. And the fact that she had enough faith to just touch the robe, the hem of the robe of the Savior and to be healed. She still, she went through that soul changing experience. She endured it well, because if she hadn't, that virtue would not have gone out of him. She would not have had that power to call upon his power to be healed in that way. And it says she followed him thereafter and she was healed from that moment on. It's uh, that's like an, one of my favorite stories. It's amazing. With all of this, then there's hope. There are things that we can do when we are having a Gethsemane moment. It doesn't mean that we don't, that we can't cry that we don't feel like it's not, that it's not fair. It's, um, Christ said, if it were possible, can we please let this cup pass? But nevertheless, that will be done. It, he also wanted it to pass. So those feelings in and of themselves are not wrong. They're not inhuman. They're not faithless. We're tired. We get tired when we go through those things. But then we follow the example of the Savior. And when he prayed, then Heavenly Father sent an angel to come and comfort him and to bear him up. So it's our Gethsemanes and how we endure them are what guide us to holiness. That's what our soul changing experience is. That's what changes us, brings us closer to God. And in fact, um, in describing the agonies of the atonement, and in helping us through our Gethsemane moments, Jesus urged us to, quote, walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me, close quote. So the only way that you and I can continue in our Gethsemane moments in, um, in a way that so that we magnify that moment, that we endure it well, and not shrink is through um, is by achieving that peace that passeth all understanding, and that is through Jesus Christ. Do you know what else uh, Christ's Gethsemane allowed for him? It gave him power to extend grace to each of us, so that when we endure things well, when we endure our Gethsemanes, and it enables us to extend grace ourselves to others, to ourselves. Grace has so much power in part because when we've endured it well, we've, we are becoming more holy. We're becoming more like the savior. We also have the power of empathy that we didn't have before that experience. And even 
if we have not gone through, gone through the exact same thing, there's very few people that I know that lost both of their parents in a car accident. I do know of at least one other person and she with, uh, was the one person who could let um, me and my siblings know, I know exactly what you're going through. And it wasn't just, um, it just wasn't a remark. It was, she had lost her parents in a car accident as well. And so she, better than somebody else, understood that shock and that feeling of abandonment and that feeling of being an orphan, even though we were all adults, had children of our own. But even if we have gone through different experiences, if we still ha carry with us um, that sense of that we have endured, it well that we have a higher sense of empathy that at the very least we know how to stay awake with somebody we know how to sit in silence and bear them up be able to bear that intense energy that is going around somebody because of their pain that they're going through because they'll exude that painful energy we will have the capacity and the grace to soak that in like a sponge without it harming us and to be able in a sense to take on some of that energy and just sit with people there's no straightforward way of doing that and everybody is unique in the way they accept help and the way they give help um, when i lost my parents everybody did it in a different way but i i appreciated every every, every single person with they all said something different um, one, one woman at church didn't know what to say. So she just came up to me and gave me a hug and that was it. And I knew that she didn't have, she knew she didn't have the words to express. She didn't know exactly what I was going through. Her parents were both gone, but they were, they died, you know, far apart in different circumstances, but she just knew that it was painful for me. So I appreciated that. I appreciated the cards. I appreciated the people that came over and just got my mind off of it even for a few minutes and so I think your intent when you're helping somebody when you're staying awake with somebody your intent matters and even if you're feeling heavy that's okay that's okay to admit that you're feeling heavy because of the experience of somebody else is going through so what are the steps what do we do with these experiences when these things are happening. We need to remember to take care of ourselves physically and mentally. We sleep, make sure we're taking care of ourselves. Getting to sleep as, as best we can it means taking a nap during the day. It's okay. Take a nap during the day that we're eating right. Sometimes we won't feel like eating, but doing our best to take because our physical is very much connected with our emotional and maybe your, your Gethsemane moment is a physical situation that you're going through but the physical usually really calls upon that emotional drain as well um one of the other things is to serve uh, that helped me and my siblings so much going through a gethsemane moment is often more of a process than an event just like with the savior i mean that span of time that with the garden and then that time on the cross and that time in between between the garden and the cross. So it was, it was a pretty long event that was draining him. I mean, he was, 
his clothing was covered with blood um, and to be hoisted up on that cross. So it wasn't just a one and done, get it, you know, snap your fingers. But when he was finished, he knew he had endured it well. He knew he had magnified and that he was not going to stop until that allotted assignment, that allotted gift for us was completely and 100% finished. But during that time, especially when he was on the cross, he thought about other people, even though he was still going through that emotional drain from other people's, you know, experiencing other people's sins. He especially thought about his mother and, you know, he asked John to please take care of her as if she were his mother. And so he wanted to make sure that even his mother was going to be taken care of. I, I just think that's amazing. Sometimes when we go through things, we get selfish. And it's, that's really not the right word to say. It's not selfish. You're just, it's hard to not think about just yourself. But if you want to alleviate some of that pain is you serve other people. And Neil A. Maxwell, when he was going through his cancer treatments, he um, was on, um, I'm sorry, I forgot what board he was on. And he said, and he, he was apostle during this whole time. He said he needed to leave that board um, and um, so that he could give, allow more time for his personal ministry. And everybody that, that heard that thought he was talking about his apostleship. But it wasn't. His personal ministry was going and comforting other cancer patients, especially ones that had been going through it with him and just others in general. That was his personal ministry that was set aside separate from the church one, which um, it brought, I'm sure it brought him so much comfort as well. And so think about that. What in your life could you be doing to help bring comfort to somebody else of what they're going through? Sometimes we have these emotional inflammations that's part of that experience that um, it leaves us weak and fatigued. And sometimes it leaves us full of, um, well, let me back up. Part of some of our Gethsemane moments or because we haven't forgiven. It seems like whenever we go through, especially if it's an, uh, an emotional trauma, if we've been betrayed or hurt, there's almost always forgiveness that we called upon that we have to forgive, especially once when somebody's hurt us, right? So forgiveness too is a process and not an event. And especially when with ourselves, when we are trying to forgive an event, to forgive, an a forgive a person, we will have these emotional inflammations. Um, sometimes we'll, something will trigger and we'll, we'll think, oh, I finally did it. I've forgiven this person. I've forgiven myself. I can move forward. I'm so glad. I feel so relieved. I'm at peace. And it could be a day later, a year later, whatever. Something happens and we're triggered and those feelings come back up and we can feel, um, we can feel weak. We can feel fatigued. Sometimes we feel, um, we're full of shame or guilt and we wonder why we haven't progressed far enough 
to, we thought we'd finally forgive. And what is it about us that we're having a hard time forgiving? We hear all the, the lessons in class in Sunday school and in Relief Society. We read the articles, we read the scriptures, and it's just very clear. It says, you have to forgive everybody. Um, you're the one with the greater sin if you don't. And you feel all of this and you're like, why can't I do this? Why is this so hard for me? And everybody can forgive but everybody has a different timeline and it's a different process. Some people are very fast. They're quick and it's instantaneous. It's a gift. And others, it just takes more time, but we keep trying. My personal theory is I feel like when we are still struggling to forgive, um, it's because we haven't allowed ourselves to mourn over that loss. So just like there's stages of grief, I feel like there's stages of uh, forgiveness as well. We become so anxious to move on, to get over it, forgive quickly, that we need to remember that there's these stages. And a lot of people's Gethsemane moments have to do with being really hurt, being injured very deeply, um, deep emotional cuts. When my parents were killed, that was a Gethsemane moment, but I had another one that was even more intense because it had to do with betrayal. It had to do with not feeling loved and feeling abandoned and confused. And I, my whole character was attacked and there was no forgiveness on other people's parts. It was just a whole complicated thing. Well, it wasn't too complicated. I was very much hurt. That has taken a long time and I feel like I've forgiven, but then uh, once in a blue moon, something will trigger and I will feel so much hurt still. And I'll think, why, why am I hurting about this still? I've forgiven. And it just, it's just an emotional inflammation and to not feel guilty, not feel shame, acknowledge it, respect that you have that feeling. Don't gaslight yourself. Accept that you're still mourning over a loss, a loss of a relationship, a loss of the way you thought your life was going to be, um, the way you thought your relationship was going to be, or the way you thought your relationship was. Um, whatever that, that loss is, it's okay to feel that anguish. And it gets easier. It gets so much easier as you go on. But if you feel like something, say you're right knee deep in the middle of something right now, and you feel like it's too hard that you are just not in a space right now to forgive. And please, if I can say something for um, people who do not go to somebody who's gone through a hurtful thing and say, well, just forgive. You're supposed to forgive and forget. Saver says you're supposed to do that. And if you don't, you have the greater sin. Do not do that, please. Because what that means, it doesn't mean they don't understand the atonement. It means you don't understand the atonement. You have not gone through that pain. You are meant to stay awake with that person, to be there for them, not to lecture. Shaming people into forgiveness is not the Savior's way. He does not pull people down. You acknowledge and let them acknowledge and let it put on their timeline and give them 
space. Give them your heart, your soul, your energy to help them through it. And so that they don't feel like they're, they should be ashamed. But if you are not, if you're finding it hard to forgive right now, because it's just too close right now, it's too intense, just put a pin in it and be willing to forgive at a later date. When that later date may come in an hour, it may come much later, it may come in a year, 10 years. But as long as you are trying, I really believe that one day you'll wake up and you'll be like, wow, I'm at peace. I, this doesn't bug me like it used to. You keep practicing, you're open to the spirit, you're open to the savior. And so when the time comes that you're ready, that you're willing and that you're brave enough to forgive and forsake don't have to forget you're not going to forget let's just be honest here the savior and god did not say that we were going to forget said that he would forget that means he would never bring it up again so when you forgive somebody you don't bring it up again not even to yourself there will come a time when you're going to be able to forsake it and it's a powerful and it's not just that you're bringing peace back into your life you have changed your soul so that you are now much holier than you were before it's a wonderful process it's a painful process and yes it's not easy for most people and I envy those that it is a huge gift for I just want to close with I'm so grateful that you have taken your time to listen and that if you are going through that Gethsemane moment, I pray for you. I acknowledge the pain that you are going through and that it's not forever. There is an end, that there is peace, there is holiness at the end of that, that both you and I can endure it well. And it, sometimes it's minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And you just take those baby steps and you go easy on yourself as you are healing and as you are forgiving. But don't close yourself off to where either one of those, it's not possible for that to happen. So in closing, this last quote from Neil A. Maxwell. You and I see in those who endure it well, a quiet, peaceful majesty, an unspoken inner awareness that, like Paul, they have kept the faith, and they know it, though they do not speak of it. So I just pray that we can all endure our Gethsemanes well because of the Savior who endured the Gethsemane so that we could find that peace, so we could have that healing, that we could achieve that holiness and that soul change that the Savior wants for us. I pray that we will be able to carry that quiet, peaceful majesty that the Savior's promised. Thank you and have a blessed day.